you so much, choir. Open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the very first book of the Bible, uh, the book of Genesis, please. We're beginning a brand new sermon series this morning called Family Life. Family Life. And I hope that you understand, beloved, that the family is under attack today. The family is under attack. This past uh, Monday, a Wall Street Journal blog said, and I quote, near the end of the three-hour-plus Grammy telecast, rapper Macklemore and Ryan Lewis led a bravara performance of the number that champions the rights for same-sex couples to marry. By the way, it's a song called Same Love. To top it off, Madonna, long an icon of the gay community, joined the occasion singing her hit, Open Your Heart. But the real topper, as a part of the performance, 33 couples, some gay, some straight, joined their hands in marriage at that very moment with Queen Latifah handling the officiating. Among those who were wed, Ryan Lewis's sister, Laura, who exchanged vows with her boyfriend. The moment clearly had an impact on those in attendance. Keith Urban was seen crying. Katy Perry was seen catching a bouquet. And when legendary songwriter Paul Williams went on stage to accept Best Album honors as part of the collective behind Daft Punk's Random Access Memories, he referenced the wedding saying it showed, quote, the power of love for all people, end quote. The article went on to say, but perhaps the bigger impact was with the Grammy's worldwide television audience. Naturally, social media was a buzz of reactions. Gay and lesbian celebrities were quick to chime in with their responses. Wanda Sykes had this note posted on her Twitter page, Congrats to all the lovely couples. Ellen DeGeneres' Twitter page had the tweet, Same love was incredible. Well, the next day, USA Today reported the following. On the same day the same-sex couple swapped vows on the Grammy stage, a quieter moment of the LGBT history was being made further down the TV dial. The Disney Channel introduced its first same-sex couple, lesbian moms on Good Luck Charlie. In Sunday's episode, Charlie's parents set up a family play date with their preschooler's new friend Taylor, Only Dad Bob thinks Taylor's mom's name is Cheryl, while Mom Amy swears that it's Susan. Cue the doorbell and then a pair of smiling blondes in the doorway. Bob smacks his forehead. Taylor has two moms. Wow, deadpans his wife. Nothing gets past you, Bob. The article said last summer when the character news was announced, the network said in a statement, I quote, This particular storyline was developed under the consultancy of child development experts and community advisors. Like all Disney Channel programming, it was developed to be relevant to kids and families around the world and to reflect themes of diversity and inclusiveness, end quote. The channel's older sister network, ABC Family, is no stranger to same-sex relationships, Lesbian moms are the focus of The Fosters, which premiered last year and was renewed for a second season. May I just interject for a moment, by the way, a little side note. Just because it says Disney does not mean it's safe for your kids. You need to check out everything today because the family is under attack. 
And if there's ever a day we need to be straight and clear on what the Bible teaches about the family, it's today because the family is under attack. And they're going after our kids and our grandkids. And they're going after them with a vengeance to indoctrinate them and teach them contrary to God's word. Now we're going to talk about the family today. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about all those good things. But before we get into the scripture today, I want to do this. I gave you a copy of our doctrinal statement, the portion that includes the part about the family. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And uh, section 18 is all about the family. And what this is, is a summary of what the Bible teaches and what we as a church say that we believe the Bible teaches about the family. In fact, you cannot become a member of our church without affirming our doctrinal statement. Because really, if you don't affirm this, you don't fit here. Because we believe the Bible from cover to cover. We believe the Bible is the final authority. And what I want us to do is just kind of read the doctrinal statement together as a summary of what we believe about the family. And then we're going to dive in today and in the weeks to come and talk about family life. I I like to explain a doctrinal statement this way. When I sit down and talk to young people, children about joining the church, I ask if they've ever done a book report. And sometimes they have, sometimes they haven't. And I talked about the fact that when you do a book report, you don't rewrite the whole book, do you? No. You write a summary. And that's what a doctrinal statement is. Don't let the word doctrine scare you. It just means teaching. And so a doctrinal statement is a summary, and you see at the bottom there is a host of scriptures that will back up what this doctrinal statement says. Here's what I want to do as we get this series started. I want us to read in unison out loud together our doctrinal statement, at least the portion that deals with the family. Now that first sentence could be a mouthful. Let me just review it, and then we'll jump into it. God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. That could be a mouthful. But I want us to read it together out loud. Would you join? I want to read through, not the scriptures part at the bottom, but just the, the wording at the top. As we look at the family, we'll begin with that first sentence, God is ordained. Would you join me as we summarize, as we reaffirm our belief about the family? Then we're going to dive into Genesis this morning and talk about uh, family life. Would you join me as we read this together? God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. It is composed of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and His church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means for procreation of the human race. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God, since both are created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way God relates to His people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She being in the image of God, as is her husband, and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband 
and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. Children from the moment of conception are a blessing and heritage from the Lord. Parents are to demonstrate to their children God's pattern for marriage. Parents are to teach their children spiritual and moral values and to lead them through consistent lifestyle example and loving discipline to make choices based on biblical truth. Children are to honor and obey their parents. Amen. Thank you for reading that. Now that is a summary of what we believe the Bible teaches when it comes to the family. You want to hold on to that throughout the series if you like. You can make some notes this morning as we talk about the family. But uh, we want to jump in this new sermon series. We want to begin by going back and visiting the very first family. I think that's a good place to go when you're talking about family life. To visit our relatives from long ago, Adam and Eve. And you have your Bibles open, I hope, to Genesis. If you'll find chapter 2, we're going to begin reading at verse 4. As we visit the first family, our ancestors from long ago, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. And we're going to begin reading at verse 4 as we talk about uh, the first family. The first marriage. Genesis chapter 2, begin reading at verse 4. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedulam and the onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gahan. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third is Hittichal. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden... You may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. 
And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now when it comes to marriage, beloved, I want to give you three important truths today. And I want to get these nailed down. And I want us all to understand this before we leave this place. Number one, please understand, please remember, please recognize, please realize marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's idea. Now here you're at a point of time in history where you have a perfect man living in a perfect environment with a perfect job. Did you know that? He's a perfect man. Never sinned. He's in a perfect, beautiful environment, and he has the perfect job. He's been given the job to tend and to care for this beautiful garden. But one thing is missing. And I want you to notice what God says about it in verse 18. God has been saying in the previous verses, if you go back and read, it is good, it was good, it was good. But in verse 18, he says, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, ladies, if you want to say amen there, you can. It's, it's fine. It's not good that man should be alone. You know we need help, don't you? But listen, it appears that Adam didn't know that it wasn't good. In fact, as we continue to read, it seems that God gave Adam an opportunity to see that he was alone. Because God does something very interesting in verses 19 and 20. God forms the animals and the birds and he brings them to Adam. And Adam is given the job to name them. And so he, he comes along in hippopotamus, and he comes along a possum, and he comes along, you know, ostrich, he comes along an owl. All, all these different things, right? And, and we're assuming that these animals appeared in pairs, the male and the female. And as they come, we assume that Adam, being a genius, he truly was a genius. I mean, no sin. A perfect man. Imagine being able to use all of your brain. Amazing. We assume being a genius, he figured out pretty quickly, hey, there are two of each one of those, but there's only one of me. That's not explicitly stated here, but it seems pretty safe to assume that because God brings them before him. He names them, but it says there was not found a helper comparable to him. And so we need to understand that marriage is God's idea. God is the author of marriage. God is also the authority on marriage. God is the one who instituted marriage. It's not merely a state thing. It's not merely a federal government thing. It's not even just a church thing. Uh, marriage is a God thing. God is the one who had the idea. God is the author of it. God is the authority on it. God is the one who instituted marriage. And as such, there's a second truth you need to remember this morning, and it's this. Marriage is God's gift. Marriage is God's gift. Marriage is God's idea, and marriage is God's gift. Now, God has said it's not good that man should be alone. But notice what He says next in verse 18. I will make him a helper comparable to him. I'll give him a helper. Now, ladies, listen. Don't get bent out of shape over that word helper. When the Bible says helper, it's not talking about a servant 
there. It's not talking about a demeaning place. In fact, listen to what Tom Constable wrote concerning this. The term helper does not mean servant. In fact, Jesus Christ used the same word, the Greek equivalent, when He described the Holy Spirit who would come and help believers uh, following the Lord's ascension. He would be a helper. It, It means one who supports One in a task of doing God's will. It's not a demeaning term. In fact, did you know that God uses the term to describe Himself at times? Psalm 33, 20. Psalm 70, verse 5. Psalm 115, verse 9. God refers to Himself as a helper. It's not a demeaning term at all. As we've already restated in our our, uh, doctrinal statement here. It's not the idea of equality. Because we know that both are made in the image of God. Male and female. But it's the role that God has given to each person. And it says it was suitable or corresponding or comparable to Him. What was true of Adam was also true of Eve. They had the same nature. That they fit together. They could be man and wife. Uh, they completed one another. You see, Adam by himself was not complete. He needed Eve. Eve by herself was not complete. She needed Adam. You see, marriage is God's good gift to us. And God goes to work here performing the first surgery so He can perform the first marriage ceremony. It says there He took a rib from Adam and He took that rib and He fashioned Eve. I love what Matthew Henry said. He says the woman was made out of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of His head to rule over Him, nor out of His feet to be trampled upon by Him. But out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. What a beautiful thought that God would take that rib and form that woman. And if you look in the passage, it says in verse 22, it says, And he brought her to the man, just as the father of the bride would usher his daughter to the groom. I get to see that. I get a front row seat for that. When I perform marriage ceremonies. And and the back door is open. And there is the beautiful bride. The bride's always beautiful, right? The the beautiful bride is there. And many times on the arm of her father. And and he ushers her down the aisle to pass her on to that good for nothing groom. But but there he is waiting. (laughs) And, and, And there they are. And we see that God brings... This beautiful creation He's just made out of the side of the man. He ushers her. And Adam's eyes, it's not written here, but it's it's the truth. Adam's eyes get big as saucers. And he's there and he sees God's good gift for him. In fact, it says later on, she shall be called woman. You know what that really translated? He goes, whoa, man, that's what he really meant. That's what he meant. That doesn't say that, but I know that's what it means. Whoa, man, I mean, look at this. This good gift you've given me, God. He went to sleep incomplete. He woke up really complete. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. This beautiful creation. A husband once asked his wife, tell me, dear, have you ever been in love before? That's a loaded question, isn't it? And she thought for a moment, replied, no, darling. She said, I once respected a man for his great intelligence. And I admired another for his remarkable courage. And and I was captivated yet for another for his good looks and charm. But with you, well, how else could I I explain it? It, 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 Except for love. It's love. You know, listen, these two had it all. They had perfection. Perfection. 
And they had love. You see, the gift of marriage it is a wonderful gift from the hand of our loving Heavenly Father. Now you need to remember that. Because sometimes it's a tough gift, isn't it? Sometimes there are troubled days. Sometimes there are disagreements. Not here yet. Why? Because they're still without sin. But the day was coming. Wouldn't be too long we'll be reading. Well, it's the woman you gave me. She caused me to do it. And they begin to have those problems because of sin. Marriage is God's idea. He's the author of it. He's the authority of it. He's the one who instituted it. Marriage is God's good gift to us. But there's a third truth here. And I want you to hear this today. Marriage is to be done God's way. Marriage is to be done God's way. There's a reason there's a big deal about what we open the message with, about what's wrong with all that. About this idea of uh, marriage can mean whatever you want it to mean. No, marriage means what God says it means. God is the author of marriage. God's the authority of marriage. God is the one who instituted marriage. I want you to notice that marriage, first of all, is between one man and one woman. Verse 23 says, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And uh, it says there, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so a man is to be joined to his wife. Uh, this, this is not for up for debate. Uh, marriage is between one man and one woman. It, it either means that or it means nothing. Because once you make it mean anything else, it can mean anything else. If it means anything besides one man and one woman, you say, well, it actually means one man to one man. Well, then it must mean one woman to one woman. And if it means that, then why not two men and one woman? Why not one man and two women? Why not a woman and a cat? Why not a man and a dog? You see, once you broaden that definition, once you make it mean anything else but what God says it means, it's meaningless. Do you understand? It either means that or it means nothing. And God says, listen, a man's to be joined to his wife. It's between one man and one woman. We also notice this is the one time where the equation 1 plus 1 actually equals 1. Now we often think 1 plus 1 is 2, but 1 plus 1 equals 1 here. Because it says what? It says that they shall become one flesh. One man, one woman, joined together become one flesh. Now of course that includes the physical realm, it includes the sexual realm, but it also includes other realms. It includes being one emotionally. Being one physically. Being one spiritually. You are one. You should never forget that. You're one. Did you notice it says there in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The King James has it, leave and cleave. That's the way I always remember it. Leaving and cleaving. You're to leave mom and dad. You're to leave father and mother. Now what does that mean? Well, it certainly does not mean dishonoring your mother and father. It certainly does not mean disowning them. But it's the priority of your life now. Your priority is no longer aimed towards mom and dad. Your priority now is aimed toward your spouse. The priority in your life now is your husband or your wife. And so you leave mom and dad. And that means moms and dads, you let them leave. You let go. I know they're no good, but you let them go, you know. But you let them go. And we understand that a marriage, according to the Bible, is to be permanent, a permanent covenant until death 
part. It's interesting. If you'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew, put your finger there. Jesus talked about this passage. If we want to get some commentary on a Bible passage, you want to know what Jesus said about it, put your finger there. Turn to Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus talks about this passage. Matthew chapter 19. I want to show you what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 19, we'll begin reading at verse 4. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. The Bible says, And he, that's Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, notice what he says, A man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. We just read that, right? Now notice the very next verse, verse 6 of Matthew 19. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. One plus one equals one. Notice the next part of what Jesus says. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so, the ideal situation, what we're supposed to do in marriage, is we are joined together as husband and wife for life, until death do us part. Beloved, very basic today. Marriage... Is God's idea. Marriage is God's good gift to us. And marriage is to be done God's way. Now here's the question before us. What do we do with all this? Y'all listening? Ladies, are you listening there? Are y'all listening? What are we to do with this? What are we to do with this? We understand this. I hope we accept this. We say, amen, that's Bible. What do we do with it? Well, I think there's three things I want to suggest we do with it. Number one, I think we should offer thanks to God. For His wonderful gift of marriage. Be grateful. Lift our hearts in praise for the gift of marriage. Yes, it's hard at times. Yes, it's work at times. Yes, there are troubles at times. But what a wonderful God we have that said, listen, it's not good that man be alone. It's not good they dwell alone. We're meant for community. And I'm going to give you someone to be your very best friend, your closest. You're going to be one. One flesh. One flesh. Thanksgiving. Second thing I think we should do. We should stand up for biblical marriage in a society that seeks to tear it down. We should stand up for it and say, listen, I believe what God says about marriage. So how do I stand up for it? Listen, when they're joking about it at work, when they're mocking it at work, you stand up and say, listen, marriage is a good gift from God. And I'm grateful for it. I mean, you, you just stand up for it and say, listen, I believe this. You do it graciously. You do it kindly. You speak the truth in love. But don't back down on it. Don't hang your head in shame because you believe what the Bible teaches. Now listen, we're being labeled today as everything everything you can imagine, right? We're bigots. We're hate mongers. We're everything you can imagine. Why? Because we believe what God says about marriage. Do I think it's going to get easier? No. Things will get much harder. There could come a day where I could be fined or imprisoned for even preaching this message. For even telling you that marriage is between one man and one. Why? Because that's hate speech. No, that's love. See, the truth. The truth will set you free. And listen, beloved. We need to stand up for biblical marriage in a society that seeks to tear it down. But there's a third thing we need to do, and that's this. We need to live out God's plan for marriage with His help. We need to live it out in our lives. Those of us that are married. What does that involve, preacher? It involves leaving. It involves cleaving. It involves being one. We're to live it out in our lives. We're to be faithful to our marriage vows. 
We stood before you. Forsaking all others, I keep my others, I keep myself only unto you. What's the old song? I only have eyes for you, right? I don't know who sung that. I just remember it's an old song. Are you living that out? Those of you that are about to get married, take seriously what God's Word says about marriage. By the way, if you're a Christian, you better marry another Christian. One who loves God. One who's going to be with you in this thing because you become one. Imagine the battles and the heartaches that you'll have if you marry someone who hates God or someone who could care less about God. We're to marry in the faith. Marry another believer. Live out God's plan for marriage. Now all this seems overly simplified. Maybe what I've shared today. And what I'm about to share with you really seems simple. But I ran across this as I studied this past week. And I thought, well, I'm going to share that. I said, no, I don't want to share that. That just seems too simple. Just, it just seems too simple. And the more I thought about it, I said, well, it's simple, but it's right. Somebody shared this. They said the simplest prescription for a good marriage is only two points. I thought, can that really be true? Only two points. Prescription for marriage, good marriage, only two points. And I got to looking at it and said, you know what, that's simple, that's right. So I'm going to share it with you. Prescription for a good marriage, two points. You ready? Number one, walk with the Master. Walk with the Master. Let me give you a reference and I'll read it to you. 1 John 1.7 1 John 1.7, walk with the Master. Listen to what 1 John 1.7 says. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Walk with the Master. You've got a husband walking with the Master. You've got a wife walking with the Master. Man alive. What a great marriage. Second point. Are you ready? Work on the marriage. Work on the marriage. Colossians 3.23. Listen to what Colossians 3.23 says. And whatever you do... Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Now, can I just submit to you at the very beginning of this series, marriage is work. It is, isn't it? It's work. Sad to say, a lot of time and effort is put into planning a ceremony, not as much in planning a marriage and not nearly as much in executing and carrying out a marriage. But if you're going to have a good marriage, you've got to work at it. It takes time. It takes effort. Uh, it, it, it takes money. It, it takes understanding. It takes forgiveness. It takes blood. It takes sweat. It takes tears, doesn't it? It does. Walk with the Master. Work on the marriage. Beloved, I want you to understand today and take these truths with you. Marriage is God's idea. Marriage is God's good gift. And marriage is to be done God's way. Thank God for the gift of marriage and family. Father, we're so grateful today for your gifts in our life. Our hearts are breaking as we look at our society that is so desperately trying to tear down what you have instituted. They're trying at every measure and every means possible to cheapen and make meaningless what you have so graciously instituted and given to us. I pray that you would help us to stand as believers and graciously and faithfully speak your truth in love. To not back down where your word is clear. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to be grateful people, even in the midst of some of the trials and troubles and all that goes on with family life, that you would help us to be grateful, realizing that this is your plan. And even in the midst of these, you're molding us and you're shaping us and you're making us more like Jesus. As we're going to study this week, Romans 8, 28, you use all things together for good, even those times that are tough. And then, Father, I pray that you would help us to not only walk with you faithfully as individuals, but then as a couple and then as a family. And, Lord, to work on our marriages, to give them the time and the attention that they need. Lord, may that not be just a once a year Valentine's Day thing that we do, but may it be a daily thing. That we seek to be servants, that we seek to live out the life of the Lord Jesus as a husband or a wife. Father, I lift up the marriages that are represented in this room right now. I don't know the state of them. I don't know what's going on, but you do. Lord, there could be some among us this morning that are at the breaking point. I pray, Lord, for your healing of their marriage. That you bring those couples to repentance. You bring them back together. That you would strengthen their marriage. I pray for some today that maybe you're considering marriage. Lord, that you'd help them to be straight and biblical in what they're looking at and who they're looking at and, and what they're contemplating. That, Lord, they would truly enter into a lifetime covenant of marriage. And then, Father, I thank you today for those who have been faithful for many, many years in modeling Bible honoring, God-honoring marriages. Lord, as we think about many that have been married for many, 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 many years, thank you for their faithfulness. May it be true of all those here. Lord, I pray for our kids, our grandkids. They're being bombarded by the world, by the devil, seeking to indoctrinate them and turn them away from you. Father, raise up a standard of truth and help them to say no to that which is wrong. Help them to stand boldly for Jesus Christ. You're enabling, helping them. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for this time now. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen and amen. The altar is open today. I don't know what the need of your heart is. If you've never been saved today, you come. If you need to be baptized, you need to follow the Lord, you come. If you need to join the church, you come. If you need to pray, come. Whatever the need on your heart today, the altar is open as we sing. If you want to come and bring your spouse with you, just pray. If you want to pray for others, you come today. I thought an appropriate closing hymn. I thought, what can, I, what can we sing after this? How about now thank we all our God? Thankfulness, 638. Let's stand and sing. You come as we sing. Now thank we all our God. 638, the altar's open. You come.